Lesson 6 for July 30 through to August 5. Jesus Mingled with People. Sabbath afternoon, July 30. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and what it portrays about the life of Jesus and how he interacted with the people around him. And this week, as we look at how he spoke to and walked with and worked with people, that we may gain blessings for ourselves, but also ideas as to how we can share the love of Jesus with those around us. We pray your Holy Spirit will guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is... Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Let's read that again, Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. A deacon in a local church drove a van that took the youth to an old age home to hold a worship service every month. In the first week, while the youth were leading out, an old man in a wheelchair grabbed the deacon's hand and held it during the service. This happened month after month. One time, when the youth group came, the man in the wheelchair was not there. The staff said that he would not likely live through the night. The deacon went to his room, and he was lying there, obviously unconscious. Taking the old man's hand, the deacon prayed that the Lord would grant him eternal life. The seemingly unconscious man squeezed the deacon's hand tightly, and the deacon knew that his prayer had been heard. With tears in his eyes, he stumbled out of the room, bumping into a woman who said, "'I'm his daughter. He's been waiting for you. My father said,' Once a month, Jesus comes and holds my hand, and I don't want to die until I have a chance to hold the hand of Jesus just one more time. That's from The Last of These, which was published in 2004. Christianity is about becoming Jesus for somebody. The next several lessons will focus on aspects of Jesus' ministry method and how his church can live out his ministry. Sunday, July 31, Christ's Method Alone. Ellen G. White, in an often quoted paragraph, summarizes what Jesus did in order to reach out and bring the people to salvation. Actually, before we read that, we're going to read Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 37. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd." And the quote from Ministry of Healing, page 143, reads like this, Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Saviour mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he bade them, follow me. Let's analyse this a bit. 
One, Jesus mingled with people as one who desired their good. He opened networks. Two, Jesus sympathised with people. He formed attachments. Three, Jesus ministered to their needs. This also formed attachments. Four, when he combined the first, second and third elements, he won people's confidence. And five, then he bade them follow me, to become disciples. What we see here is a holistic model of the gospel. This ministry method will guide us in proclaiming the gospel more fully. Jesus did not separate the social aspects, numbers 1 through to 4, from giving the invitation to follow him in number 5. And neither should we. All of the steps working together will give true success. This lesson will focus on the first steps of Jesus' method. Lessons 7 through to 11 will focus on the others. Question. What do the following verses say about God, the Son, mingling with us? Matthew chapter 1 verses 22 and 23. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And John chapter 1 and verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We are all deeply hurt and damaged by sin, but everything that has gone wrong in the world because of sin is addressed by God's reconciliation with humanity through Jesus' holistic incarnational ministry. He mingled with and desired the good of the whole person and the whole human race even ministering to those who, in that culture, were deemed the worst. And so to finish today, dwell on this amazing truth that the one who made all created things, as it says in John 1.3, all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made, Jesus took upon himself human flesh and in the flesh mingled with and ministered to fallen humanity as he did. How should this amazing truth, so full of hope, impact how we mingled with and minister to others? Monday, August 1, Lost and Found Jesus tells three parables in Luke chapter 15, in direct response to the accusation of the Pharisees and teachers of the law that Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them, as expressed in Luke chapter 15 and verse 2. Question. Read the following passages and note the essence of Jesus' answer to these accusations. First of all, Luke chapter 15, verses 3 through to 7. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. 
I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. And Luke chapter 15, verses 8 through to 10. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through to 24. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will rise and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this is my son, who was dead, and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Each parable begins with something lost and ends with a celebration, an expression of God's love for us and his profound interest in our salvation. A pastor was following up a voice of prophecy interest and discovered that the whole family was interested in Bible studies, except one. The mother, father and younger daughter had accepted Christ and were eager to receive the pastor in their home on a regular basis. The older son had rebelled against Christianity and wanted nothing to do with it. Every evening that the pastor visited, the young man left the room and would not participate in the lesson studies. After six weeks of cordial and productive Bible study, the young pastor began to challenge the three who were studying with him to consider baptism. Each had his or her own reason why he or she should wait a few months before deciding. Unexpectedly, the young man entered the room from where the study was in session and announced that he wanted to be baptized as soon as the pastor felt he was ready. He had been sitting in his room following along in a Bible he had purchased at a used bookstore after the first lesson, and all along was growing in conviction that he needed to make a public confession of his faith. Two weeks later the young man was baptized, and one month after that the rest of the family took their stand as well. 
Considering what we just read in the parables, we can imagine that there was joy in heaven over these decisions. Jesus purposely placed himself in contact with such people as a Samaritan woman at the well, a Roman centurion, a sinful woman who poured a year's salary's worth of nard on his feet, and countless unrecorded individuals unworthy of those who considered themselves too holy to be in his presence. So to finish today, have you ever avoided witnessing to a person who would likely not fit well in your church? What would it take for you and your church to find sufficient grace to embrace those sinners? Tuesday, August 2, Eating with Sinners Question. Read Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through to 13. What crucial message should we as individuals take away from Jesus' response to his critics? And we'll also look at Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. But first of all, Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through to 13. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that... Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And Hosea 6, 6 reads, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Jesus is reclining at a dinner table, where he is fellowshipping and eating with what this society would deem undesirables. Question. What kind of people does your culture deem undesirables? Interrupted by the Pharisees' question of the appropriateness of Jesus mingling with such despicable people, Jesus challenges them to learn the meaning of mercy in contrast to sacrifice. Matthew 9.13 But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. How sad that Jesus has to tell religious leaders to learn one of the most crucial truths of their own faith. Here again, we are seeing the same problem that we saw occurring in Old Testament times, that of religious forms and ceremonies becoming more important in the minds of people than the question of how they treated others. How interesting that he quoted the Old Testament here, Hosea 6.6, 6, to make this point. Writing in the Desire of Ages, page 280, we read, Thousands are making the same mistake as did the Pharisees whom Christ reproved at Matthew's feast. Rather than give up some cherished idea or discard some idol of opinion, many refuse the truth which comes down from the Father of Light. They trust in self and depend upon their own wisdom and do not realize their spiritual poverty. Fasting or prayer that is actuated by a self-justifying spirit is an abomination in the sight of God, 
End of quote. It's easy to judge the actions of others by using our own preferences as the standard. We must learn to humbly put self aside and allow the Holy Spirit to translate mercy into conviction. And so to finish today, what does Psalm 51.17 say to us all? How should the knowledge of our own sinfulness help us to understand better the meaning of this text in Psalm 51.17? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Wednesday, August 3. Mingling Wisely. A speaker asked a group to tell how many non-Adventist friends they had. One man in the back of the room stood up and triumphantly proclaimed, I'm proud to say none. That man might have meant well, but his words said a lot about what kind of light to the world he was. As we saw already, Matthew 5.13 says we are the salt of the earth, but this salt can lose its savour. A merchant in Sidon had stored much salt in sheds with a bare earth floor. Because the salt was in direct contact with the earth, it lost its savour. This salt was thrown out and used to pave roads. In the same way, we need to be careful as we mingle with the world. Are we letting the world rob us of our unique savour? Are our values the same as the world's? Question. What can we learn from these stories about how not to mingle with the world? First of all, Genesis chapter 15, verses 5 through to 13. Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them, that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right, or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. And they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And Genesis chapter 19, verses 12 to 26. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city? Take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. 
So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass, when they had brought them outside, that he said, Escape for your life, do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain, except in the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, Please, no, my lords, indeed now your servant has found favour in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See now, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have favoured you concerning this thing also, in that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. And Numbers chapter 25, verses 1 to 3. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit holotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And First John chapter 2 and verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. These biblical examples illustrate the need for caution in mingling with people who live by the worldly values listed in 1 John 2.16. We fool ourselves if we think that we must not use caution, or that there is no danger of getting caught up in the fallen principles of the world. At the same time, what good are we going to be to others if we hide ourselves from others in order not to be negatively impacted by their ways? Note this wise and balanced counsel, and it comes from Selected Messages, Book 3, page 23. Now, shall professed Christians refuse to associate with the unconverted and seek to have no communication with them? No, they are to be with them in the world and not of the world, but not to partake of their ways, not to be impressed by them, not to be a heart open to their customs and practices. Their associations are to be for the purpose of drawing others to Christ. And so, to finish today, how many non-Adventist friends do you have? What is the nature of your relationship? Who is influencing whom more? You, them, or they, you.
Thursday, August 4, in the midst of a crooked generation. No question, the world needs what we have been given in Christ. It's nothing in us, ourselves, that makes what we have so important. Rather, it is only by virtue of what we have received from Christ that gives us our imperative to reach others. And it's precisely because we have been given so much that we are called to reach out to those who don't have it. As Jesus said in Matthew 10.18, Freely you have received, freely give. Question. Read Philippians chapter 2, verses 13 to 18. What are we being told here, and how does it fit in with our calling to reach out to others without falling away ourselves? Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. We have to be careful about so seeking to protect ourselves from the world that we never come in contact with the souls in it. It's very easy to stay in our own spiritual and theological comfort zone and to become spiritual introverts. Such introversion can turn into self-centered religion. How often do local churches, for instance, spend more energy battling over worship styles or doctrine than they spend in outreach to a dying world? Robert Linthicum, in his book Empowering the Poor, in pages 21 to 30, describes three kinds of churches. First, the church in the city or community has virtually no contact with the community. The bulk of the church's emphasis is serving its members' needs. Then, there is the church to the city or community. This church knows that it must get involved in ministry to the community. It guesses what the community needs without consulting the community it serves. Then it presents programs to the community. Its ministry risks being irrelevant, with no community ownership. And lastly, Linthicum speaks of the church with the city the church with the city or community. This church does a demographic analysis to understand those whom it serves. Members mingle with leaders and residents of the community, asking them what their real needs are. Their service to the community is more likely to be relevant and well-received because the community has already given input and trusts the process. This church joins the community in their struggle to decide what kind of community they want and is a partner with the community toward realising that goal. Such a church gets involved with community organisations and may help the community to add lacking services if needed. There is a mutual ownership and a buy-in of this partnership to meet real needs. Friday, August 5. The Church's mission is to the world, not only unto itself. It was organised for service to others. A church of another faith community has a sign at the end of the driveway just before the driveway enters the road into the community in front of the church. The sign says, 
servant's entrance. That says it all, doesn't it? Jesus was a great mingler, and Ellen White indicates that God's church must be today. The members are salt and must permeate the community. In the book How to Grow an Adventist Church, Russell Burrell writes, There is no call here to hibernate in the wilderness evangelizing jackrabbits. Here is an awesome invitation given by the prophet of the Lord to mingle, like Jesus, with the unlovely, the poor, and the lost. Jesus was friends with sinners. He attended their parties, met them where they were. Jesus never compromised his faith, but he loved to go where there were sinners. The people most comfortable around Jesus were sinners, while the ones most uncomfortable were the so-called saints. But Jesus didn't pay attention to that, because he had his priorities straight. He came to save sinners. That was his mission, and it should be our mission, even if we make some saints upset. For too long, Adventists have isolated themselves in safe havens and ghettos as if the rest of the world did not exist. That time has ended. We cannot, we dare not live in apostasy any longer. It is time to enter the community as individuals and as a church. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, discuss the idea expressed above that by isolating ourselves we are in apostasy. Do you think that's too strong? Or is the point valid? If so, what biblical justification can you find to back up your answer? Two, though we need to mingle in order to minister, why is the support from and the accountability to the church family an important factor that we mustn't neglect? How can we as a church body help one another as we seek to minister to the world but not get pulled into it? And three, Discuss this idea of churches spending more energy bickering over internal issues than they spend on outreach. How can we avoid this deadly trap? Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled Lost and Found, Part 1. Denise, her mother called, come. Her mother grabbed the little girl's hand. What's wrong? the four-year-old asked as she ran to keep pace with her mother. Soldiers, they're coming. We must hide. Denise didn't understand her mother's words, but she felt her mother's fear. As they approached their little home in Rwanda, Denise saw her father tying a bundle. Together the little family ran down the dusty trail that headed east. Other people joined them, and soon the path became crowded with people running and crying. It was 1994, and millions were fleeing for their lives. They walked for hours, hiding in the tall grass or the small forests when someone thought soldiers were nearby. At last the family reached the border of the Democratic Republic of Congo, where they could rest. The family settled into a refugee camp made of lean-tos and plastic tarps that offered a little shelter from the hot sun and the pounding rain, but at least they were safe, they thought. Then men with knives and guns entered the camp, and people screamed and fled. Denise ran too, but where were Mama and Papa? 
Denise followed the crowd, calling for her parents, but no one answered. Weary, Denise sat down to rest. A man offered to carry her on his shoulders. She felt safe. But then he became tired and put her down. Suddenly, the sound of gunfire and screams tore the air. Denise scrambled off the road and hid until the shooting stopped. Then she joined others, seeking safety. She saw people lying on the road. Then she saw the man who had carried her. He was lying so still. Somehow, Denise understood that he was dead. Denise walked on, blindly following the other people. Sometimes she called out, Mama, Papa, but she never heard an answer. Denise found a family who allowed her to stay with them in exchange for work. She suffered their abuse. She fled the home and found an orphanage where she could stay. When Denise heard that the fighting was over, she wanted to go home and find her parents, but where was home? Denise remained in the orphanage until she was old enough to leave. Then she began the long walk back to Rwanda. She slept in the bush at night. As she walked, she often asked God why she had to suffer so much. She didn't hear God answer, but when she grew discouraged and hungry, people shared their food with her and gave her hope to keep walking. And this story is to be continued after next week's lesson, so make sure that you come along and hear what the ending really is. This week's lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful. <laughs>